Hey, um, we're going to continue in our series um, uh, called uh, A Christmas TV Special Christmas. Um, I kind of mentioned this last week. Um, last week, we, we, we talked about the Grinch. Um, and um, I mentioned this last week as we kind of um, started this series. The last couple of months, and actually all the way back into um, the summer, we, we did James and, and, and went through the book of James in each chapter. And, and, and James is kind of a heavy book. It's kind of a, a step-on-your-toes kind of book. And then we moved straight into that, into worship. And, and that was pretty heavy. And, and really, I was excited because I, I wanted to do something a little more light. Um, not that this isn't biblical, not that this isn't going to helpfully change us, but I wanted to do something a little more uh, fun and a little bit more enjoyable, hopefully, as we were in the Christmas season. Um, it is the season of joy, uh, you know, but I, I'm, I'm excited about this week uh, because we're, we're calling this one a, a transforming Christmas carol. Um, we're going to be going through uh, uh, some every, every week here a couple of, of, of Christmas TV shows or, 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 or movies that, that I think that we can learn from and experience um, some, some, some deeper meaning in. And I'm excited about it because I hope is, my, my prayer is honestly that every year when you guys maybe watch these with your family, that you see them and that yes, you enjoy them for, for the simplicity of, of what they are, but also that you remember some of the deeper meanings. And um, I don't know about you, but I, I, about every year I watch some version of A Christmas Carol. Um, I, I enjoy the story. I usually actually read the book every year um, because I'm that guy as well. And, um, and so basically I enjoy that. And one of my favorite versions of A Christmas Carol is probably going to surprise you. It's, it's not the old English, you know, I think George C. Scott or something that played Scrooge. Actually, my favorite version of A Christmas Carol is um, A Muppet's Christmas Carol. I love that one. I think I love it the most because there's, there's puppets, because I'm still sometimes a child, and, other, and really because I think Michael Caine was the best Scrooge ever. And so this morning, we're going to learn some things from A Christmas Carol, and we're going to actually use um, uh, the Muppets Christmas Carol to show some of these clips and show you some of these things. And so I want you to sit back and relax, and uh, we're going to show the first clip now uh, and move from there into our message. And so, guys, if you're ready, why don't we throw on the first clip? Scrooge liked the cold. He was hard and sharp as a flint, secret and self-contained, as solitary as an oyster. There goes Mr. Heartless, there goes Mr. Cruel. He never gives, he only takes, he lets his hunger rule. And being means a way of life, you practice and rehearse. Then all that work is paying off, cause Scrooge is getting worse. Humbug. Whew, what an unpleasant fella. Mm. He was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone. Scro- Boy, this really is a dirty city. <laughs> you telling me? <laughs> Thank you for making me a part of this. He was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone, Scrooge. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Bob Cratchit? Yes, Mr. Scrooge? Who is this? It's Mr. Applegate, sir. He's here to speak to you about his 
Morgan. Please, Mr. Scrooge, I know you're very angry about this, and I didn't mean to fall behind in the payments. Lord knows it, being Christmas and all. Oh, please don't shout at me, sir. That and, of course, little Gwen. Her lungs aren't right. The doctor takes his share, don't he? I mean, you can yell and scream, and you're right, but it won't do no good, because I'm the stone you can't squeeze blood from, and that's the truth! Thank you for not shouting at me. Let us deal with the eviction notices for tomorrow, Mr. Cratchit. Tomorrow's Christmas, sir. Very well. You may gift wrap them. Let us help you with that, Mr. Cratchit. Oh, my, there are certainly a lot today. We'll get it with you. Okay, okay. There you go. Christmas is a very busy time for us, Mr. Cratchit. People preparing feasts, giving parties, spending the mortgage money on frivolities. One might say that December is the foreclosure season. Harvest time for the moneylenders. If you please, Mr. Scrooge, it's gotten colder. Yeah. Any bookkeeping staff would like to have an extra shovel full of coal for the fire? We can't do the bookkeeping. Yeah, all of our pens have turned to inksicles. Yeah. Our assets are frozen. How would the bookkeepers like to be suddenly... Unemployed! Keep This is my island in the sun. I believe you convinced them once again, Mr. Scrooge. moment, who should arrive at the door but Scrooge's nephew, Fred, his only living relative? Nephew. Scrooge liked the <sighs> Michael Caine was the best. That's just, that's just my opinion, you know. Scrooge. We, we all have seen the movies. We've all maybe read the books. We've all know about Scrooge. Scrooge, the word has even entered into our lexicon. It is, it is actually a term we use for people that are unpleasant or especially this time of year that, that, that aren't joyful or whatever. He's a Scrooge. He's a Scrooge. And here's the thing, we have to understand this, and to get into what we're going to be sharing and what we have to understand, I want you to hear me on this, okay? I know that at times it's very easy in our lives to, to kind of want to look at everybody else, okay? But today, do me a favor, don't worry about your husband or your wife or your kids, worry about you, okay? Focus on you today. Because the thing you need to understand is really the first point. And that is, at times, really, you've got to understand this. If we're honest, we all, at times, act like Scrooge. Now, that doesn't mean that we're like Scrooge all the time. But there are moments and there are seasons of our lives where we act like that. It may not even be something outward, but it's something inside. Remember, Jesus was very clear that sometimes the things that matter most are not the things that we necessarily act on the outside. Because we're all really good actors. But the stuff that happens deep inside of our hearts... The things that take place deep inside of us. At times, we're all cruel. At times, we're all cold. At times, we're all people that live our lives in a way that is not exactly what God wants us to be. In Romans, the seventh chapter, Paul is wrestling with this. He's dealing with these issues in his life. And in 7, 15 through 19, it says this, For I do not understand my own actions. 
For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. That is such an interesting thing. I love how Paul at times, it seems like, I don't know if you, you get this when Paul writes. It's like there's, there's people that, that as they write things, whether it be an email or, 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 or something else like that, it's like they write it, they read it, they write it, they read it, they change it, they move it around because they want it to sound so perfect. Paul is like, he doesn't do that. Paul just is writing, and he's like, he's so frustrated. And it's like, Paul never, I don't think, ever actually wrote something and went, nah, I don't want to send that. It's not what I want. It's like his struggle here is so real, and you see it throughout all of his writings at times. This idea of, man, I really know what I want to do. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I never do it. That's me in a nutshell. Listen, I acknowledge headwise, I know what needs to happen. I know what I need to say. I know how I'm supposed to react to situations. But I don't know about you, I don't do it. I know I'm supposed to react with kindness. I know I'm supposed to react with patience. I know I'm supposed to do all these things. But typically, I'm the guy that wants to grab the person by the shirt, the, the, the neck, and throw them out into the street. That's me. But you know what? If we're honest, that's probably the most of us. We're all dealing with this stuff. We're all dealing with, with, with sin in our lives. We're all dealing with this, these things. We're being transformed. We talked about this in our, in our worship series. We're being transformed from glory to glory. This is a process. We haven't arrived. There's no such thing as arriving in the Christian life. And listen, it's okay to understand that. It's okay to be there. Paul dealt with this. He was, he was fighting it. He was dealing with it in his own life. And it was hard. We see this again in John chapter 8. Now, in John chapter 8, we see a very beautiful, horrible story all wrapped into one. And it's the story of a woman who is caught in the act of adultery. Now, now you got to understand what this is implying. She's caught in the act. This means that it wasn't just happened later or they found out. They caught her doing the situation. Does that make sense? Do I have to spell it out anymore for you? She's caught. Red-handed. There's no defense. There's no, I wasn't there or it was somebody else. She's caught in the act. They bring her to Jesus. They throw her down. It's not like they're being nice about this. They throw her down. She's nothing more than a pawn to them. They care nothing about her or her life. They're just using her to trap Jesus. They throw her down and they say, the law says that we should throw rocks at her head till she's dead. What do you say? Now, let me explain something to you real close, real real easy, okay? Maybe you have not been caught in the act of adultery, but every single human being that has ever lived or will ever live has been caught in the act of sin. And the enemy has taken us and thrown us down at the feet of God and said, according to your law, the wages of sin is death. One thing I know about the enemy, he loves to use scripture out of context and to destroy us. He did it when he tempted Jesus, but he'll do it. The law says death. What do you say? 
And the Bible records that Jesus began to get down and write in the dirt. We don't know what Jesus wrote. I'm going to ask Jesus one day, what, Jesus, what were you writing in the dirt? And finally, he stands up and he looks at them and he says basically this. In John 8, 7, it says, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. What was Jesus saying here? Well, obviously he was saying a lot of things. But one of the things I think he was trying to help us to understand is, you know what? We're all the woman at times. We are all the woman at times. We have all been caught in the act of adultery. We have all, if this will help you understand, as Jesus being our husband, as as the church being the bride of Christ, we've all cheated on our husband. Every single one of us. We have been caught in the act of idolatry. We've been caught in the act of sin. We've been caught in the act of, 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 of adultery. We have been caught in the act. There's no escape. There's no excuse. You sitting there and going, oh no, I don't deal with this stuff, is not going to cut it. You've been caught in the act. By a God who knows everything, every thought, every action, everything you have or will ever do. I don't tell you that to scare you, I just tell you that because that's the truth. And we're thrown down at his feet. And I love what Jesus' response here was. He says, listen, listen, we all... All of you. Because he's speaking here, not just to the woman. He's speaking to the men who brought her in. All of us need a savior. All of us need God to come and change us and form us and make us into who he sees fit. I wrote this down. It's a little long, but I want you to understand this point. So I'm going to read it directly from my notes. It says this. Admitting we are still needing to work on things isn't a sign of weakness or immaturity. It is an acknowledgement that we are dependent on God to continue and finish the good work he started in us. Listen, do not let your pride keep you from the transformation that God wants to do in you. Don't act like you don't deal with this stuff because usually what that does is it keeps God from really forming and changing you into the person that he wants you to be. Listen, listen, we're not, we can't show the whole movie, okay? But during this time, during the interlude of the clip that I'm getting ready to show you, basically Scrooge comes to a place where he's got to realize something. He's either going to listen to these people that are talking to him and sharing with him his life, or he can reject it. He can say, no, that's not me. No, I can give you excuses, or I can give you reasons why. I, that's not my fault. Or... He can realize that, you know what? I need to change. I need to let some things be different inside of me. Obviously, unless you've lived under a rock and you don't know the end, we know what he chooses. But let's watch the clip. (laughs) Ebenezer Scrooge. Oh, please, spirit, no. Hear me, I'm not the man I was. Why would you show me this if I was past all hope? (laughs) I I will honor Christmas and try to keep it all the year. I will live my life in the past, the present, and the future. 
I will not shut out the lessons the spirits have taught me. Tell me that I may sponge out the writing on this stone. <laughs> oh, spirit, please speak to me. <laughs> I'm home. Yes, the bedposts were his own. The bed was his own. The room was his own. Hi, guys. We're back. We promised we would be. But the thing that made Scrooge happiest of all was that his life lay before him. And it could be changed. I will live my life in the past, the present, and the future of Jacob and Robert Marley. Oh, heaven in the Christmas time be praised for this day. I say it on my knees, Jacob and Robert. On my knees. Oh. They're not torn down. They're here. And I'm here. More's a miracle. Oh. Oh. I don't know what to do. I, I'm as light as a feather. I'm as happy as an angel. I'm, I'm as merry as a schoolboy. Um, do you think it's safe for us to be up here? Scrooge is saved. What can happen now? Yeah. You there, boy. What? Me? Uh, that is, uh, what, me, sir? What's today? Pardon? What's today, my fine fellow? Today? Well, today is Christmas Day. It's Christmas Day. I haven't missed it. The spirits did it all in one night. They can do anything they like. Of course they can. Of course they can. Uh, of course they can. <laughs> do you know the poultry shop in the next street? Yes, sir, I do. An intelligent lad. A remarkable lad. <laughs> Do you know whether the prize turkey has been sold in the window? Oh, the one twice as big as me? It's still there. Oh, it's a pleasure talking with you, lad. Go and buy it. Be serious. I am being serious. Buy it for me and I'll give you a shilling. Oh. No, I'll give you five shillings. What? Wow! <laughs> and so the boy was off like a shot. So eager... Oh, ah! Um, sorry. I'll bring it to Bob Cratchit's house. What a surprise it'll be. It's twice the size of Tiny Tim. And a few moments later, dressed in his finest, Scrooge appeared on the streets of the city to wish Merry Christmas to all the world. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, gee, thanks. Everyone was out and about this fine morning. And soon, he encountered two familiar faces. <gasps> Mr. Scrooge? Pardon me, gentlemen, but about the charity donation you asked me for yesterday. Will you? Put me down for... <gasps> that much? Not a penny less. A great many back payments are included in it, I assure you. Oh, my goodness. I don't know what to say. I just wish there was something we could give you. A gift? A gift for me? Thank you. Thank you. Fifty times, and a Merry Christmas. Here's your turkey, Mr. Scrooge. As I was 
studying this week about this message, I was um, looking online at different historians and different um, biographers that, that wrote about Charles Dickens. And, and one of the things I kept running into, and there was some disagreement, but, but some, one of the things I kept running into was, was the fact that, that a lot of biographers feel like when he wrote this, he wrote it with the New Testament in mind. And, and to me, if you can't see the parallels, I, I, it, it, it's just clear to me. But we have to understand something. As in Scrooge's life, God desires to transform us. Look at 2 Corinthians 5. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says this. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I love this. This is one of my favorite scriptures in all of scriptures. It's in Ezekiel 36. It says this in verse number 26. It says, And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. I love that scripture because I have at times, probably more times than I'd like to admit, a stony, stubborn heart. And I need a new one. You see, the one thing I love about our God is our God doesn't just simply change things and give us slightly something new. He gives us something completely new. I don't know if you like to go to Chick-fil-A, okay? I like Chick-fil-A because I'm a Christian and I think that's like the the law, okay? But I do like Chick-fil-A and so we'll go to Chick-fil-A. Now, one thing I do not like about Chick-fil-A, okay, is for some reason, somewhere, someone decided that there, this was a good idea. They, they were obviously not hearing the Spirit of God. But they thought it was a good idea to put pickles on a chicken sandwich. Now, if you like pickles, I'll pray for you, okay? I am not liking pickles, okay? I do not, because pickles to me are, are one of those, those foods that have a tendency to, to spread, if you know what I mean, okay? And so I'll go and I'll order a chicken sandwich... With American cheese. Yes, I said it. American cheese. I knew it was coming. Yeah. And I will have myself a chicken sandwich. Now, I always say the same thing. I like a number one, no pickles with American cheese. You know what is not acceptable to me? Is when I get my sandwich and they think when I said no pickles, that that meant that at any time in the history of that chicken's life, there were needed to be pickles near my chicken. Because here's the problem with pickles. You put pickles on bread, the bread soaks up the pickle juice. The chicken will soak up the pickle juice. And so I'll be eating my sandwich and I'll have the residue of pickle. Unacceptable. No, that is not what needs to happen. What needs to happen is you need to find me a fresh piece of bread and a fresh piece of chicken that has never ever been in contact with said pickle, and then we got something going on. You know what God does? God doesn't just transform you and basically say, okay, listen, I'm going to just take the pickles off of your sandwich, and there you go. You get to be brand new. You get to be changed from the inside out. God literally comes into you, grabs your heart, removes it from your body, and gives you something brand spanking new.
changes you, makes you new again. All the old stuff is gone. Behold, everything is new. Look at Isaiah 1.18. It says, come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your, your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. Why are we seeing this imagery? It's because God wants you to understand that when he gets a hold of your life and he does something inside of you, it is completely different from the man or the woman or the kid that you were. You need to understand that. Because a lot of times what we do is we get our new heart that's white and we find ourselves some red paint and start painting it up because we're more comfortable with that. We don't like sometimes the fact that we're a new creation. And that's weird to me. But we all do it. But you are brand new. You are something different. God has come in you. And like Scrooge's life, there is a noticeable change. There isn't him just walking in and going, you know, I'm not quite sure how I feel about this. You know, maybe I'll just kind of put my my baby toe in and kind of get a feel for how it is. And then maybe we'll decide. He jumps in. Everything about him is different. How he sees the world. How he sees others. How he gives his money. How he gives his time. Everything is different. You know that that's what God wants to do in us. You know that God desires to do that in you and me so that there's a difference, so that we're changed, so that our stony hearts are removed, and instead there's something amazing inside. But you've got to understand something, and it's quite simply this. God doesn't desire to transform us because we're horrible sons and daughters. It's like I find that in people. It's like you talk about change and you talk about God wanting to transform you. And, and there's this pushback that basically says, well, does that mean that God doesn't love me where I am? Does that mean that God's not pleased with me or proud of me? No. No, it's, it's not because you're a horrible son and daughter or because he doesn't love us at whatever stage of our journey we are on. You've got to get those things removed from the equation. This isn't God looking at you going, oh, I'm just so disappointed in you, I've got to change you. Oh, I'll love you later, but not right now because you're not who I want you to be. He wants to transform us to help us act more and be more like his son. Listen, God is not mad at you. Do you understand that? God does not look at you and tap his foot every time you mess up and say, how could you? You should know better than that. He's also not sitting there with a lightning bolt or a big stick ready to knock you over the noggin. But listen, you've got to understand this. And this may sound kind of strange. This is kind of one of those, in some ways, you've got you to die to live. And if you want to be first, you've got to be last kind of things that Jesus talked about. Okay? Jesus loves you so much, but he loves you so much, he doesn't want you to stay where you're at. You get that? His love for you is so great, he looks at you and goes, listen, I love you so much, I don't want you to stay here anymore. I don't want you to stay in bondage. I don't want you to stay with the old. I want you to move and be more like me. So what's that like? What's that look like? What what, what does God really want us to be? Look at Galatians 5. It's a really simple list, but it's something, wouldn't, listen, when we read this, and I know you guys know this verse, most of you know this, but listen, when I read this, I want you to remember that this is how God wants us to be and act and live. 
It's more than just a list of fruit or, or attributes of God. It's literally things that God wants to be birthed and grow inside of you. And it says, but the Holy Spirit produces, produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these. Now listen, if you are the person here out of all the people in all of humanity that has ever lived that does those things at all times, in every moment, in every situation, you can turn your brain off. For the rest of us normal people, I'm not that very often. And I want to be more like that. I don't want to just be more like that for me. I want to be more like that for you and for my wife and for my son and for my family. I want to be more patient. I want to be more kind. I want to live with joy. Don't you? And listen, even if you're doing this okay... Don't you want to enjoy it more? Don't you want to experience this more? I mean, what, what goes through our heads as human beings? Why are we so broken that we look at God who is lavishing these things on us and we say, no thanks God, I'm good. Wow. No matter where we're at in this, we can all be more. We can all be more like Jesus. We can all experience these things. God wants to transform us because he loves us. And he wants us to have these things in our lives. Not just for us, but for everybody else. The final thing I want to talk about is something that really kind of came to me in a weird way. So let's talk about the point and then I'll talk to you where it came from. The final thing, a gift we can give this Christmas is the understanding that others can be and are being transformed by God. I'm going to expand that as well in just a minute to also include us, as letting us do that and not beating ourselves up. But let me kind of tell you where this came from. Um, I think it was last year, maybe the year before, they, they, they put out a movie, and it actually was really a good movie. It's nice, to, you know, when you can watch a movie. And I, don't, I didn't actually know that they actually made PG movies anymore, you know. But this one was. I'm not sure why it wasn't G, but, you know, maybe it was a scary part or something like that. Anyway, it was called The Man Who Invented Christmas. You seen that movie or heard about that movie? Basically, it was a really good movie. It was, it was kind of the origin story of how Charles Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol. Now, I, I kind of looked, I tried really hard this week to see if I could find out how much of all of it was really... Um, accurate, you know what I mean? Sometimes Hollywood tends to take some, some liberties, as it were. But, but from what I found, it seemed to kind of follow the story fairly correctly. I, I kind of looked at some different things and, and, and so on and so forth. But one of the issues that they said in the movie, now I don't know if this happened or not, I don't know if anything's recorded, but it just kind of brought something up in me, okay, was this concept that basically as Dickens is writing this, you're, you're seeing him write it, you're seeing him struggle with these characters, and obviously he has people in his life that he trusts that he wants to read it before he sends it off to be published and so on and so forth. So he's, he's, he's having people read this. And in, in the story in the movie, basically, as they're reading it, they all have the same response. You can't make Tiny Tim die. Now, I don't know if that's how he originally wrote it or not, but in the movie, that's what it showed. And so basically, they're, they're going, wait a minute. You know, you know this, is, this, is, this is Christmas. This needs to be happy. You can't have a horrible, terrible ending. And Dickens' response is very interesting to me. 
Because I think it wraps up all of our responses at times to things in our lives and things to others that we see. And Dickens makes this basically this comment. He says, I got to make Tiny Tim die. And they're like, well, why? Why? Because I can't imagine. I can't see how Scrooge could ever change. He couldn't get his mind around the con. This guy was so horrible and so mean and so disgusting. You know, all the stuff, you know, all the horrible Scrooge and thoughts. that he, he could not imagine that something could change him. And in some ways, he's right. In some ways, he was correct. You see, the only thing that's ever going to change us is Jesus. But when Jesus changes us, all things are new. All things are new. And we need to understand that. Because there are people that are going to be changing. We are going to be changing. And one of the greatest gifts we can give is to understand that in people. Because you know what we tend to do? Let's be honest. This is what we tend to do. We kind of we look at people and go, you know what? I know what you were when you were a teenager. I know what you were when you were a kid. I know what you did, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and we do not allow people to the ability to let God change them into something new. And we hold that against them. We're kind of like the older son in the story of the prodigal son. You realize what the older son does? He points at his younger son and he says, look what he did. He can't change. He can't be different. Why are you accepting him in? He did all these things. Listen, you need to hear me. There are people in your family that God is working in and God is changing. And that doesn't mean that they know Jesus right now. But I believe that through your work and through God's spirit, they are moving towards that. I believe that with all my heart. And there's going to be changes in them. And the worst thing you can do is grab their past and throw it in their face this Christmas and say, you can't be different. You can't be changed. Because you can with God's help and God's leading and God's power, he can break every chain in anybody's life. I want to look at Psalms 51. In Psalms 51, we see something very interesting here. David writes this, and David writes this, if you look in your scripture, after, after Nathan has, has, has come to him, Nathan the prophet has come to him, he's basically pointed a finger in his face and said, you are the man. This is after his sin with Bathsheba. Look what David's response is. He says, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me. And again, we see this beautiful imagery. I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And make me willing to obey you. David messed up. David messed up majorly. David committed murder and adultery and all these things. And now we see a change in him. Now we see him going to God. And saying, God, I have messed up. Cleanse me. Make me new. Basically, that experience where all the old has been passed away and everything new has come. Listen, listen, there are going to be Davids in your life. There are going to be people in your life that have messed up, that have hurt you and hurt others. And 
and, and just been a horrible, terrible person. And into the grace of God and the mercy of God, God is going to do an amazing work in them. He is going to bring them back. They are going to see his face and become brand new. And your job at that point is to recognize the newness and celebrate because what was dead is alive again. Not to sit back like the older son on the sidelines and say, he doesn't deserve it. You know what we do? Good things happen to bad people. We get mad at God. God, how could you? They don't deserve that. Why do I talk about this? Because right now, I believe there's going to be a day very, very soon where there's going to be people in your home or you're going to be in the home of those people and they're going to be people that you're going to look at and you can have the, 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 the opportunity to bring life into them or death into them by what you say and how you respond. Are you going to be the one that says, oh, it won't last? Are you going to be the one that looks at them and says, oh, they were just in a really bad time? They don't really, God really didn't change them. Can I remind you of something? There was a time in your life where God changed you. Look, I know it's hard. I know it's not easy. The Bible does command us to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. But listen, you need to hear me on this. As hard as it can be, as hard as it has been for me in my own life, I believe that my God has the power to make all things new. All things new. That the old will have passed away and behold, everything is new. That God has the ability to reach down into the darkest, most evil, terrible heart that you can ever imagine and pull it out and bring his spirit and his life to those things. I believe that my God has the ability to do that. And I'll just be honest with you, in those moments, you know what those people need? They don't need your judgment. They don't need you to look at them and say, is it real? They need you to wrap your arms around them and say, I am so glad you're home. I've been praying for you. Sometimes I wonder, and I truly mean this, I wonder if God doesn't answer our prayers because we really don't want him to. Because we want them to get what they deserve. Folks, folks. Let's pray and hope we don't get what we deserve. And instead, let's rejoice. What an amazing Christmas this would be if a gift that we gave people was the gift of patience and peace and understanding and our arms around them and saying, listen, I know you're not where you need to be yet. Neither am I, but you're farther than you've ever been. And I'm so proud of you and I'm so happy for you. And I want God to make all things new in you. You see, here's the thing. You saw that very end scene, and here's Scrooge, and he's on, he kind of comes out on the town. And this is honestly, I'll just be honest with you, this is the most unrealistic part of the whole movie. (laughs) And he says, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. And what's everybody's response? Oh, Merry Christmas. Like, oh, of course, this is completely natural. This man has been horrible his whole life. He, he goes to sleep on Christmas Eve. He wakes up and now he's a happy, joyful man. This, this is cool. No, we wouldn't do that. We'd go, what does he want? What is he doing? This is a, we would, everybody would do that. Why? Why? Because we don't believe that people can change. 
And you know what? I agree with you. I don't believe people can change either. I believe God can change people. That's what I believe. And I believe that when God changes people, all the old is gone. And behold, all things are new. Worship team, why don't you come back up? We're going to close. Can you imagine the guy back in David's time? Who always remembered the sin? You see, I'm not sure exactly. I don't know if we even know. I'm sure maybe somebody thinks they do. That's fine. How many um, songs he wrote after his sin? Obviously, we know 51 was. Can you imagine the guy that... The choir sing starts, you know, they're at, they're, they're at the temple, or not the temple, the, the temple hasn't been built yet, but they're, they're getting ready to start worshiping God and in the tent and the tabernacle. Oh, it's going to be great. And then that song comes on that David wrote, and basically that one person goes, nope, not going to sing that song. You know what he did? You ever heard of a woman named Bathsheba? <laughs> yeah. He got her husband killed. All this is going on. The song is singing. And maybe it's Psalms 51. This beautiful song about God coming in and forgiving and cleansing us. And they spend the whole song with their arms crossed judging a man who after his sin God looked at and said, that's a man after my own heart. Remember, this isn't, a, this isn't an understanding of you're a horrible person. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We're all like Paul. We know what we need to do and we just don't do it. We can all be changed more into the likeness of our Father. And we don't need some story about spirits in the past and the present and the future. We just need the Spirit of God. And He changes us from the inside out. And so look, if that's you, and just so you know, that's all of us, okay? Can we just, please, we put it in wood on the board. It's okay to not be okay. We don't have to be fake or phony with each other. We all need to grow. It's okay. It doesn't make you a bad person or a bad Christian or immature. In fact, in my world, it makes you more mature because you understand how desperately you need God. And I'm not saying that all of us need a change like Scrooge where everything has been just so radically transformed. What I am saying, though, is that God wants to change us all, maybe in just a little way today. Maybe there's just a little thing that the Spirit wants to illuminate in us and says, listen, man, I love you so much, but listen, you haven't been patient with your husband or your wife the way you need to be. You haven't been as kind as you need to be. Guys, I'm speaking to us right now. Sometimes we get frustrated and we get upset and the world starts spinning and we are, we are cruel to our wives and the things we say. we got to stop it. Our words need to be tender and kind. It's hard. But we got to do it. we got to let God change us in that. There's so much that God desires to do in you. And it's not a, it's not a statement that you're bad or you're horrible. It's a statement, actually, to how much God loves you because God disciplines those He loves. 
And for some of us, we're going to be walking into areas and we're going to be walking into people's lives in the next couple of weeks. And we need to walk in there and go, listen, we need to put our arms around them and go, I believe that my God can change the most wretched of sinner. You go, Aaron, how do you really know that? Come on. Simple. He changed me. Changed me. And if God can change me, and God can continue to change me, there is not a human being on this planet that God cannot, through the power of his name, change and make all things new. So this is more than just a message about a transforming Christmas. This is allowing God to transform everybody around you. That's what we pray for. That's what we want. That's what our desire is. Maybe, maybe we should actually start acting like it. Give them that freedom to let God take out their stony heart and put in a brand new one and celebrate with them when he does. Father, we love you. And God, right now, I pray, as I, as I said at the very beginning, God, it's so easy in these moments to begin to let our minds wander and begin to think about lunch or begin to think about, well, you know, so-and-so really needs to hear this. Or, but, Father, can we just put those aside for a moment? God, will you help us to grow? Will you transform us this Christmas? I'm not saying that we're Scrooge all the time. I'm not saying that we're throwing people out and evicting 500 people a day. We're not. But God, some of the words that we say are not appropriate. Some of the things we say about people are wrong. Sometimes the way we treat people that we love is quite honestly just sin. And God, you're not mad at us. You just want us to grow. You want to forgive us. You want to take us and make us white as snow. And so God, will you just in this moment just illuminate that to us? Through your Holy Spirit, will you help us to have spiritual ears turned on to hear what you are saying? Maybe it's just one thing in one situation with one person. Maybe it's a multitude of things. I don't care, Father. You know best, and I trust you. But God, I pray for those that are open right now that you would begin to share that with them. That you would begin to make those places new again. That you would begin to pull out the mar and that you would begin to form us and shape us into a pot and a vessel just like you. Help us, God. Because, God, we can't change without you. We're we're like Paul. We go back and we do the same things and we mess up over again. And we need your change to come. We need your spirit to, to come inside of us and mold us and shape us. We can't do it on our own. We were created to do it on our own. There's no shame in that. We need you. We're dependent on you. And, Father, as we as families begin to to interact with friends at parties and co-workers and, 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 and individuals in and our home and all the things that happen. That, Father, 
our attitude would be one of, of allowing change. That our attitude would not be one that says, nope, Scrooge, I'm sorry. You've done it too bad, too long, can't happen. Because quite honestly, there's going to be enough people that are going to do that. God, make us into the individual who runs out behind the Father and says, man, you're home. I'm so glad you're home. I'm so glad, man, you were dead and now you're alive. That's right, let's party. That's right, let's, let's do this. This is amazing. This is awesome. God, you're so good. Change us into those types of people. Change us into the people that, that run and join with the angels when somebody comes home. That we're not so self-centered and so self-serving that we can't rejoice with the shepherd when he finds the one that wandered off. And God, forgive us when we've done that in the past. Because you rejoice when one comes home. You rejoice when one is changed and becomes a new creation. And Father, if we're going to be like you, we'll rejoice too. So let this be a new day in all of us. Let this be a new start for all of us as we experience you and change during this time, this Christmas. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name.